Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, I ask that you will anoint my mind and my heart with your spirit and that you would speak to each one of us, that you would use me as your instrument for your honor and glory. In Yeshua's name, amen. Our topic for tonight is out of 2 Kings chapter 13, the death of Elisha. We've been around for a while, we've been studying through the book of Kings, and we've seen Elijah come up over and over again, way back from, from Elijah calling him, passing him while he was working his father's uh, farm uh, out there with the other servants and plowing the field behind the oxen, and Elijah comes by and throws his tali, throws his mantle over to him, indicating a passing of the, of the uh, responsibility of the prophetship onto him as God had told Elijah when Elijah was in the cave, go and, and uh, call Elijah to be your replacement. And Elijah taking the call, turning his back on the plow, saying goodbye to his parents and following Elijah. And then seeing miracles that Elijah did and washing Elijah's hands as the Bible tells us and ministering for him and being sent on errands and learning under the tutorship of Elijah as a faithful student, as a faithful follower, and then following his master and, not, and refusing to leave his side as Elijah goes from city to city and then is taken up in chariots of fire before his face. Prior to that being asked, what can I give you? And Elijah requesting a double portion of the Spirit of God that was upon Elijah to be upon him. God granting that request, God indicating that that answer had been yes. Elijah taken up in the chariot and dropping his talit down to Elijah. Elijah picking it up and taking it with him and continuing the ministry. Miracle after miracle. Uh, bitter water being made sweet, poisonous soup being made edible, bread loaves being multiplied, predicting a child would be born and a child is born right at the, same, at the time predicted, a child dying later on and then the child being resurrected in answer to Elijah's prayers, miracle after miracle ministering to several kings over a long period of time. The schools of the prophets being established. They were already started with Elijah and continued with Elisha. Expanding the schools, building on to schools. Axe heads falling in water and then being raised up out of the water. Resurrected in a sense out of the water. Mighty Sutra. And all of that being done in Israel, in, not down in Judah where they're worshiping in the temple almost throughout this whole time, not where the temple is, not in Judah and Benjamin and the Levites, but up in the north, up in Israel with the ten tribes, with king after king after king that's not following the Lord. And God blessing his ministry. God ministering to him and God ministering through him. 
Now we come to the end of his life and it's recorded in the scriptures. Bible doesn't give us the end of everybody's life. Doesn't tell us how it all ends for everyone, but it gives us some details on Elijah in the last moments of his life, or the last events of his life. And so Elijah, Elijah comes on the scene in the north here during the time of Ahab. Um, and going through one, two, three, four, five, six kings. Something like 60 or so years of ministry that God used him and called him to. So no doubt by this time he's no man, we don't give him the age of when he receives the call, but maybe young, maybe 20, maybe younger, maybe 13, 14, out there plowing. And so in his 70s at least, towards the end of his life, it comes to where we are at now. And so we'll be speaking a little bit about Jehoash, also known as Joash, and then be introducing Jeroboam the second in our service tonight. Okay, so Second Kings chapter 13. Elisha became sick with the illness of which he would die. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. That's interesting because Joash was not a king that followed the Lord. Now, he's got the same name as Joash of Judah, who did follow the Lord most of his life. But this is Joash in the north, who we'd have no indication in particular that he's following the Lord. Actually, the Bible does, says that he did as, uh, as Jeroboam the first in following the ways of that and not following the Lord and worshiping the golden calves. And, but he comes to Elijah and he's weeping over him. Elijah got, used Elijah in such a way that has had such an impact on this king who did not have a godly father, who did not have a godly grandfather, who Elijah no doubt rebuked many of them and all, all of them. And his life and testimony was a living rebuke and his message was a living rebuke to each one of these kings. And yet he comes and he's weeping over his face, crying, my father, my father. Such an impact that Elijah's life and the ministry that God did through him had on even those who are not following God. May our lives, may our words, may our testimony, may our actions, may our deeds that God does through us, not ours, but God's working through us, may it have such an impact on those around us, those that we come in contact with, and those who we don't even come in contact with, but who we hear about or know about in some way, shape, or form. What God has been doing through us individually and what God has been doing through us as a congregation, what God has been doing through us as a people. That are departing from the scene for whatever reason, death or whatever. Retiring from the job, moving out of the neighborhood, graduating from that class or from that school would have such an impact on those that are around us, directly around us and even on the fringes. Not only the students in our class and the teacher in our class, but the principal of the school, who maybe we never met, but who's heard about our lives. Maybe not the coworkers that we work with directly or our direct manager, but even 
higher up or somewhere else in the, in the, in the organization who has heard about our life. Because it's been lived in such a way, in such a godly way that God has used it. Not only the people that we come in contact with here as a congregation, not only our neighbors here in the neighborhood, but throughout this area and throughout it's being reached through the programs, being, the sermons being broadcast uh, at shalomadventure.com and, and through the Shalom Adventure magazine or other various ways, may our testimony have an impact for good upon the world. May God give us a double portion of the spirit that he put upon Elijah, which would be four times of what he put upon Elijah. Is that possible? Could God do that? Could God give us a, a four times what he gave Elijah? Why not? There's nothing impossible for the Lord. Are we willing to receive it? With all of that means, with all of the responsibility that means, with all of the attacks from Satan that that would mean, are we willing to receive it? Is our hearts emptied enough of self and of sin and of the carnal nature that God could fill us with four times the spirit that he put upon Elijah? He has his impact. And, and the king comes and says, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Now, I'm not sure exactly what he meant by that statement, but, but maybe he meant, Elijah, my father, my father, your death, your dying, will have more of an impact upon us than all of our horsemen, than all of our chariots, than all of our army. The army of Syria came to attack. They came and surrounded Elijah's home and city. Elijah prays and there's unseen angels and chariots out there. And all the Syrian army goes blind and, and Elijah walks them into the, to Samaria, into the king's courtyard. The ministry of Elijah, Elijah was more effective and more powerful than all the chariots of Israel and all their horsemen. And maybe that's what he meant. It certainly was true. Or maybe it was a reference to Elijah and the chariots of Israel, the chariots of God that came down. And the angel riders of those chariots that came down and swept Elijah up and took him to heaven. Maybe the king is praying a prayer Again, an ungodly king, but, but wishing upon Elisha, oh, that you wouldn't die, but that the chariots of Israel, the chariots of God, the chariots of fire would swoop down and take you up like they took up Elijah. And may they swing down and take us up as well. Swing low, sweet chariots, coming forth to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariots. May each of us live godly lives by God's grace. Cleansed through the sacrifice of the Messiah. Filled with his spirit so that when the Messiah returns, those chariots will come down and take each one of us and our loved ones up to heaven with him.
Elijah said to the king, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. So the king is very obedient. He doesn't even question, what are you talking about? What's this about? He just obeys. Elijah said, take up the bow, take up the arrows. He does so. Elijah said, put your hand on the bow. And Elijah put his hand on the king's hand. And Elijah said, shoot. And he shot. So again, obedient. He does it. The arrow shoots out the window. And there's poor sap outside walking past at the wrong moment. And, no, that's another mention in the Bible. Oh, it's just an empty field, I guess. He shoots it and shoots out into to an empty field. You know, these guys, it's crazy sometimes. You see shooting in the air, celebrating a wedding or something like that, the guns. Crazy. Those bullets that go up, you know, whatever goes up must come down, you know. And there are people who die from those things. It's crazy. But he shoots this arrow out there. Elijah tells him to do so. He shoots this arrow out the window. And Elijah said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. You must strike the Syrians at Apac till you have destroyed them. With the arrow, with your bow, go forth to battle and destroy the Syrians. And Elijah said, take the arrows. So he took them, again obedient, and strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. Elijah didn't say how many times. He just said, strike the ground. He takes the arrows and he strikes the ground three times. And the man of God, Elijah, was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. I don't know, that seems like kind of a rebuke there. I mean, I, Elijah says, take your bow, take your arrow. He does, he's obedient. He says, shoots, he shoots. He says, take some arrows, strike the ground. He does that, he takes some arrows, he strikes the ground. He does it three times. Not good enough for Elijah. I said, what do I got to do, huh? Not good enough? You didn't tell me to hit it six times. You just said, hit the ground. I, did, I hit it more than you said. You just said, hit it. I hit it three times. What do you want? How can he get rebuked like that? How can... Where does he get off with that kind of thing? Well, let's go back a little bit and read it again. When he shot the arrow, Elijah said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow, of, the arrow of deliverance from Syria, you must strike the Syrians at Apec till you have destroyed them. That message, and I guess with, you know, the passion of even old Elijah was given towards it. And the passion that the king should have had against the oppression of the Syrians that were coming down and oppressing God's people and attacking God's people, the king should have, just a, just a hearing, the destruction, the, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance against Syria. That should have just brought up so much passion in the in the king's heart. When he specifically says, you must strike the Syrians. That the king should have just been, yeah, we need to strike the Syrians. We need to strike against our enemy. We need to strike, 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 strike. So that when then Elijah says, take those arrows and strike the ground, he should have been so passionate, maybe with every single city, 
I'm going to strike at APAC, I'm going to strike at Damascus, I'm going to strike here, I'm going to strike and strike and strike and strike and strike until they're destroyed. As Elijah said, till you have destroyed them. He could have slammed down for every defeat Israel had already uh, experienced from the Syrians, every attack that the Syrians had done on them, every raid that had been done on them, every city, every village that had been uh, ransacked, Every person who had been killed, he should have been so angry. Should have brought such passion for a defense of his people and for God's honor. That he should have struck the ground till those arrows were nothing but dust. That's why Elijah rebukes him. Because he leads into it. Tells him this is the deliverance of the Lord. And this is the deliverance against Syria. And you must strike. You must strike. He strikes three times. Maybe not even with a whole lot of passion. I don't know. And so he rebukes him. He stops. And Elijah rebukes him. He's angry with him. Then five or six times you would have defeated them. But you did it three times. You will only defeat them. You will strike at Syria only three times. And then Elijah died. And they buried him. I don't know if it was right then and there. I don't know if that was his last word. <laughs> You're only going to strike him three times. Okay, yeah, I don't know. You know but uh, somewhere after that, he dies. You know. And they bury him. Doesn't even tell us where they bury him. Sometimes it does. The kings, they bury him here. But this is, and they bury him. Verse 20. So Elijah dies. Now the raiding bands, still verse 20, the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. And as they were burying a man, suddenly they spied a band of raiders. And they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. Now we don't know if that's the tomb of Elisha. But that is a tomb at Mount Carmel. Where Elisha lived and where Elijah lived. But... Uh, we don't know that that's the one. But it's a real one with a rolling stone and everything. Uh, but they put him in the tomb, the same tomb, the tomb of Elisha. So at one time, someone did know where the tomb of Elisha was. And so they take this man, they, they're, 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 they're on there, they're doing a funeral, they're going to bury this guy, and they see the raiders coming. And oh no, we don't have time to go to the burial site. These raiders are coming, we've got to get out of town. Here's the tomb, here's Elijah's tomb, let's just throw him in there right now and let's get out of town. Let's go tell the, tell the army, right? Let's go get help. Right? And so they, it's the nearest tomb, just happens to be there. And so they take the guy, they throw him in Elijah's tomb. When the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. The power of God is still radiating out of the bones of Elijah. Elijah was used more by God when he was dead than many of us while we were alive. <laughs> That's powerful, huh? God is able to do it. Obviously, it's not Elijah, right? Obviously, it's not Elijah. Nothing in him naturally. He's not even alive. He's dead. 
He's dead so long, his bones are stowing, his, you know, his flesh is rotted off. And yet, God is able to still use and honor his servant. It wasn't his bones. There's nothing miraculous in his bones. They didn't take his bones and powder it up and spread it along every grave and raise everybody from the dead, right? But God is honoring his servant. For this man's sake and for our testimony's sake, that through the power of a dead man, we will be able to be raised back to life. Elijah, and Elijah, but Elijah in many ways foreshadowed the Messiah. When Yeshua came, he did many of the same exact miracles that Elisha, that God did through Elisha. Many of the same ones. We you know, recounted them, the ones that I remembered. <laughs> There might be more, certainly more that the Bible didn't even record. Or almost each one of them, Yeshua came and did the same thing and even more. Showing that Elisha was foreshadowing, pointing forward. And yet Elisha died, was buried in a tomb. And even in his death, was used to resurrect someone else. Just as the Messiah, even in his death, his bones still live. He, you know, he did not, his body did not see corruption, but he lives. And through his life and his continued life, we will have life and everlasting life. Nothing is impossible with God. 22, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz. Joash. Same king, same, just pronounced name differently. But the Lord was gracious to them, had compassion on them, and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not yet destroy them or cast them from his presence. The faithfulness of God even throughout all of this time. The faithfulness of God. And here again, mentioning how oppressed Israel was under Syria. It should have stirred up such passion in that king to hit the ground more than three times. Hazel, king of Syria, died. Then Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his place. And Jehoash, I guess this is Jehoash, this is Joash. The other one was Joash's father. King of Israel recaptured from Syria the cities which Syria had taken from his father by war. Three times Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. How many times did he? Three times. How many times did he strike the ground? Three times. God is amazing, huh? Elijah was right on. God was right on. Three times he defeated him. And if he would have struck the ground five, six times, he would have won five or six battles and not only recaptured the cities, but defeated Syria. Joash, king of Israel, rested with his fathers. Then Jeroboam sat on his throne 
And Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. So how about for us? Should we say goodbye to Elisha? Give us a little wave there, that's right. In our study of the kings, and move on past Elijah. He's been with us again through several sermons and several kings. May God work through us as he did through Elisha. May we be willing to leave whatever we're doing and be fully about God's business. May we be so surrendered that we be willing to learn as Elijah learned from Elijah. May we sit under God's feet and learn of him and be mentored by him and those who he's called to mentor us and then maybe we may we be ready and willing to hear God's call and move forth and may we be filled with as much of God's spirit as he wants to pour out upon us and use through us may we be so surrendered to self and may we be so passionate for God that we will be willing to fight against the enemies of God. Now in our story tonight, it was the Syrians, but the real enemy is not flesh and blood. The real enemy is not human beings. The enemy that torments us, whatever enemy is in your life, whatever enemy you need to get victory over, may you be so angry at that sin. May you have such hatred for Satan and for sin that you strive against it and bang against it and strike against it that the arrow of the Lord would pierce it through whatever you're dealing with whatever the enemy that you have whether it's again I'm not talking your neighbor or your spouse I'm talking against anger against bitterness against resentment against jealousy against greed, selfishness, some addiction, whether it's lust or passion or appetite, and we strike against it, that we hate it so much, that we strive with all God's might and cry out for God to fill us with his power, to fill us with his spirit, that we strike and we strike and we strike and we don't stop until it's destroyed until it's gone, until we have received full victory in the Lord. Not just a temporary relief, strike three times and receive some relief, but to victory. That God does not look down on us and frown, why did you only strike three times? But do not give up until our heart is totally freed and totally cleansed so that God can pour out his latter-day spirit upon us, that the latter rain will fall. That just as the spirit of Elijah came upon John the Immerser before the first coming of the Messiah, so he will come again in power and might upon us so that we can prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah with a message of repentance, with a message of turning back to God. With godly lives, with holy lives 
so that when the Lord comes, he will find faith in the earth. So when he comes, he finds a bride that is made ready, white and pure, without guile in her mouth. Pure and spotless robe, with no mark of known sin committed in our lives. No rebellion against God's word, no rebellion against God held on to. that everything is surrendered. So that the devil of this world, the prince of this world, will be destroyed in our lives and in this world. God is looking for an army that will stand up against him and his evil angels. And in the might and power of the Lord, gain victory and full victory overcome and overcome and overcome and overcome by the power and spirit of God. By the word of their testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. That God can come and destroy the devil once and for all because there is a people who have been lived a life like, like Job that can prove Satan wrong. That can testify Satan is a defeated foe and has no right on this planet anymore. That dominion has been won back for humanity through the power and blood of Yeshua the Messiah and his redeemed saints. That through God's sacrifice and through his power and through his might this world will once again the dominion of this world will once again be given to humanity. But God will not give it to, to us as long as we're just strike it, strike it, whatever. Sing a couple songs, praise a couple things, show up a couple weeks, a few hours a week. Read every so often, pray every so often. God knows my heart. Pray when it's convenient, pray when we have a need. Do we have a passion for the Lord? Do we believe the Lord is coming again? Do we believe we're in the last days? Do we believe time is short? Do we believe it with all our heart? How passionate are we about it? Are we striking? Are we sharing? Are we witnessing? Are we testifying? Are we living for God? As if he was coming tonight are we passionate about him do we love him with such love strike for him that we, we just encompassed with him that our mind is focused on him and his will and fulfilling his will on the earth as he loved us as he was totally consumed for us he's got a whole entire universe but he has left it all to come to the one lost sheep in the solar in the universe for us. Yeshua left it all to come to here for us. With such passion, with such desire, with such burden, he was striking and striking and striking and striking and striking in the Garden of Gethsemane till blood started coming out of his forehead. His sweat was so intense as Blood pressure was so intense, his prayers were so intense. 
Are our prayers that intense to gain victory over sin? Are our prayers that intense for lost people? Are we striking with the arrow of the Lord's deliverance? Or are we just going through life? As we pray tonight, may our lives be like Elijah's. May our life, lives be like Elijah's. May we be filled with God's Spirit to overflowing, that it is seen in our life even among to the king, to the godless kings of this world, and even to the point that even in our death, people will still be blessed and come to the Lord as a result of the ongoing testimony that outlives us as we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, I am thankful that you graciously love us, and I am thankful that you gave all for us. Lord, take our lives. Take the sinfulness out of us. Take the carnal nature and lay it upon your son. Thank you, Yeshua, for giving your life for us. Thank you that you were willing and did change places with us. Take our lives. Take everything out of us, our minds, our hearts, our desires, everything that's carnal, everything that's ungodly. Everything that resists your word, everything that resists your truth, everything that resists doing your will, remove it out of us. Place it upon your flesh and bury it away in the tomb. Lord God Almighty, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing. Give us passion for you, Give us a passion for your word. Give us a passion for the lost. Give us a passion for your truth. Give us a passion for your work. And use us. In life and in death. And for your honor and your honor only. And for your glory and for your glory only. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.